the small, railroad-dependent village of Oak Lake is nestled peacefully in Becker County. Suddenly, a blaze breaks out in an outlying farmhouse that would claim the lives of an entire family. Again, I didn't even know it was over there. Oof, that that was... was perfect. He was like hiding in the metal tube or whatever. That's yeah, the last thing I needed. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that does? That makes me not trust anything for like two days. <laughs> now I'll just live in fear until I die. Don't worry. I took care of him for you. I you crushed did? his body. Hey, Big Papa Cody. <laughs> uh, big, big, big gorilla thumbs up to you, son. Yeah. <laughs> The savior, the slayer of demons. A, a hair just fell on my hand, and I thought it was a Were you, were you recording when you, swear, squ- screamed, when you screamed like that? Absolutely not. God I wish I was, it. though. I wish I was, because that was the... God, that's number one most girly thing I've ever done in my entire <laughs> life. It was a very feminine uh, scream there. That was a real terror. <laughs> I mean, I could give like a replay of it if everyone takes their headphones off. Hold on, I'll turn you way down. <laughs> Damn. That was... It was uh, maybe a little... It was much quieter than yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, it blew out our eardrums. Yeah. So, I, I don't know why I was thinking of this last night, Adam. Well, since your your weakness is spiders, okay? If, mm-hmm. if you are a superhero, your weakness is spiders. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, last night going through Netflix and that uh, Motley Crue movie popped up on oh, there. Oh, yes. And then I was like, "For some, why does Adam have such an extensive knowledge of celebrities' uh, past drug addictions? Have you ever realized that? Uh, no, I didn't you realize seem it. To, but... You seem to know every single <laughs> uh, ex-drug user in Hollywood yeah. and what their past addiction is and what they were addicted to. <laughs> yeah, I can, actually, yes, now that you mentioned that, I think so. We'll be talking about people and be like, oh, yeah, he used to do smack. I'm like. Okay, I had no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Probably just podcasts. No, just that could be. And... Yeah, that could be. It, it's just, I don't know why I thought of that at 2 in the morning when I was scrolling through Netflix. But, <laughs> you Did you what? watch the Motley Crue one? Uh, not yet. It's pretty good. It was It was all right. I, I heard there I was... mean, it, it really goes to show how much shit you can get away with when you're rich and famous. Yeah. Well, they, I, I thought... Um, Who's the really bad one? Nikki Six, he's the worst one, right? Like, drug addict-wise. Yeah, yeah, He yeah. was, yeah. Well, I thought he was a drug addict before like before they even got the band going. Yeah, they did, but he's, like, completely sober now. But after he almost died, how many times? No, after he did, he did die. Oh, he did? Well, yeah. okay. We're gonna split hairs like he did die? No, Boy. he was dead for six minutes. His heart stopped beating for six minutes. That's dead. That's how dead. How do you survive that? He didn't. You, you get survive. a lot of shots of adrenaline straight to the heart. He didn't survive. He died. But they brought him back from the dead. <laughs> How much you want about he? Did he turn religious after that? No, he did not turn religious. Did monk? Who's the corn? He was going around at oh, uh, head. Head was going around at churches around Minnesota too. Yeah, talking about God and how it saved him and all that. That's pretty metal. Of I'm him. starting to sound pretty bitter, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? Me. My name is Adam. Sitting across from me this week is Cody. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. A little bit of a sniffles today, but uh, all in all, my week's been all right. It's hotter than a pistol up here. I don't think so. It's hotter than a pistol. It's really not that bad up here. It's hotter than a pistol up here. It's raining out, isn't it? It's raining It was out. raining. Now it's not raining. It's probably going to rain again. You know what's nuts? Hmm. I went to Cub like two hours ago to get myself <laughs> some barbecue chicken. Hmm. And uh, it was beautiful and sunny and warm. And then as I left for the podcast after eating my chicken, it had rained and it was cold. Yeah. 
that was strange. That was a very strange thing. I could imagine so. I'm starting to sound a little sick now that I hear myself in the old <laughs> microphone. I mean, you do got a little bit of a nasal thing going on. I do. I know. It's really annoying. I don't know what the what the hell is <laughs> going around or whatever, but fuck, it's annoying. Yeah, this is lame. This yeah. is lame, especially because it's my week. <laughs> yeah. I got to say shit this week. Uh, also, Sigurus Reed Jordan. Hello. How are you, pal? I am fantastic. We saw each other on Tuesday for the live show, right? Yes, we did. Did you return the later hosen to your brother? Uh, he is currently at 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 Camp Ripley, so they are being kept in safe storage. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, yes. Where's Camp Ripley? Uh, it's like three hours northwest of here. It's around the Brainerd Little Falls area. Nice, nice. What's he doing? His annual training. Nice. Is he still a, a beast in that thing? What it was he last time you talked to me? Oh, no, he's his job is the Federal Incentives Manager for the Minnesota National Guard. So anyone who joins the National Guard, like, he approves or denies, like, their bonuses and shit for enlisting. Like, did you fulfill everything that you agreed to to get this bonus? If yes, they get it. If no, they don't get it. Or if they've already gotten it and it turns out they didn't complete it, they have to give it back. Damn, moo. So do they call him a paymaster? In that sense, yes. That's pretty dope. <laughs> I wish I could be a paymaster. How do you stumble upon that job? That sounds like a good job. So right out of high school, he went active duty in the Army, and, you know, he did his deployments in, like, Germany and Iraq and whatnot. And One he... of them much more fun than the other, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Then he, like, took a year off, and then he just signed up as a weekend warrior with the National hey, Guard. Hey, hey, we respect all of them. Hey, I do, too. That's just uh, the term, man. But, and then they saw, like, oh, you've done four years, you know, active duty army and whatnot, and they offered him a position full-time with the National Guard, and he took it, and it's just uh, been growing since then. That's he, pretty dope. He's now a sergeant first class, I believe. So that's he, rad. He's full time. Like, yeah, that's his job. Yeah. Okay. Forty that's hours rad. a week, baby. Well, how, how much older is he than you? He is two years older than me. Damn. Well, he should be close to a military retirement. He's right? got like eight or nine years, I think, because that year off that he took between. Oh, I've always wondered about that. Do you have to go straight through, or can you like quit as long for a while as and come back? as long as it is a cumulative twenty? Hmm. Okay. okay. So right. you could take like five years off and then join yeah. the guard and then. Yep, that's pretty dope. <laughs> so if I sign up right now and <laughs> I'm in say the, no and I'm in there twenty yeah, they're, years, they're gonna give you a hard no. And say, then, no, thank you. And then I when I I can retire in twenty years when I retire normally. Yeah, yeah. perfect, dude. <laughs> With eighty percent of the highest pay grade you ever received for Hell the rest yeah. of your life. How about that shit? What if you never made it past a private or? Wouldn't it's, that be pretty hard? It, yeah, it's pretty easy to get past the <laughs> like, private. Like, I don't know. Congratulations, you did your job for a year. You're a specialist. <laughs> I think you might have to be an actual idiot. Yeah. To stay a private for 20 years? Yes. I, Jordan could do it, I think. <laughs> oh, I have no doubt in my mind I could do that. All right, let's, uh, let's shoot our way right into this mother beeper, shall we? Let's do it. All right, boys. Today... Is very special. Oh. Today, Adam found out Walter Trenery, my old oh. friend, Minnesota Murder. Uh-oh. He released an extended edition at some point of oh, Murders shit. in Minnesota <laughs> with a story that was not in the other one. Sweet. That's what I like to hear. I could see. Is there a bellhop involved? No bellhops. God no damn William it. Williams, no bellhop blues. William Tenery's. He's dead, dead, right? It's gotta be. Okay. Gotta That's be. what I thought. I think I remember he's really old. That'd be sweet if you were in, like, one of his... They kept going, like, a really old fan club of his, like a snail mail one. Oh, I'd join. You know how, like, now, obviously, you hit a fan membership or whatever, it just sends you an email. Yeah. What if this guy was still sending out snail mail? And there were some jerks that were, like, <clears throat> like putting glitter bombs in there on Walter <laughs> Trenery's yeah. birthday and shit. <laughs> that would be rude. I feel like that guy who did that in that video should have did something a lot meaner than just glitter... Like anthrax? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Human diarrhea? Yeah. Oof. God damn. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, after that one, after after that human diarrhea bomb, we're going to go to Bobo Link's last war whoop. 
Okay. <laughs> what the fuck is that? I'm I'm already intrigued by the name because it sounds like it's just a party. Bobolink's last war whoop, gentlemen. <laughs> this is fantastic. All right. Fire away. During the most heated time in the American Civil War, 1862 to 1864, Minnesota volunteers, with the help of federal troops, were busy pushing the Sioux westward out of Minnesota. The Chippewa remained in the north in the Mille Lacs region, the region they had pushed the Sioux out of a hundred years previous. The Chippewa refused to take part in the Sioux uprising, instead deciding to stand with folded arms while the whites exterminated their common foe. <sighs> okay, here's a little problem right off the bat. Yeah. I know they're not called Sioux now. But uh, this book was written in 18... <laughs> not 18, like, like I, 1960. Okay, okay, what are they re- referred to? What's their tribe called? Lakota. Now? Okay. The All Lakota right. tribe. Yeah. I will try my hardest to say Lakota, but I wrote Sioux about 14 million times before I remember I, that. I, I, it's not the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe. Is it still? I don't know. Because these that is the Chippewa, or they're, they're up in that region too. Yeah. We're, I'm going to reference the I, Ojibwe. I forgot what I was going to say now. Cash me outside. Oh, what I was going to say. I've been in the same predicament. I've actually been reading a book that was published, I think, in like the 70s, right? Not as old as this, but um, they kept using the term half-breeds. That's oh, in here, too. I, is it? I have quotes with I'm like, that oh, it. my God. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. That shit's ridiculous, <laughs> the amount was, of race. I was like, that... This was a different time. Holy yeah. shit. But it wasn't that long ago no, where you could call true. them half-breeds. That's Holy fucked up. shit. That's, that's bad. Like, that's yeah. when our parents were growing up and you could still say that shit. I also wrote Indian a few times in here, too, but I'll try and say Native American right afterwards so you can just cut that first part out. <laughs> okay. Although Chippewa-white relations in the state were pretty peaceful, the tribe would later prove itself capable of causing trouble for northern Minnesota settlers. Now... By 1871, the Chippewa were largely confined to reservations. Of course, the whites took out the Sioux and then turned their full attention to the other native powerhouse in the state. So they went right back on that Mm, deal. Yeah. So if I was kind of wondering, what if the Chippewa did team up with the Sioux? I wonder if they'd have a really hard time defeating them then. I like I don't know the size of the tribes. Right. uh, Well, that's the big thing. Like that's that's still in contention today. What would have happened if? They teamed up instead of the Chippewa folding their arms. Yeah. Ugh, fucking white people. Right? That's kind of how <laughs> right? I feel about it. I, I've said, like, every time I read something about America eradicating the natives, it's just like, it's the worst. It's oh, terrible. Bad. It's, it's terrible. disgusting. It's <laughs> no. pretty fucking bad. And I remember playing cowboys and Indians and stuff like that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Brutal. Also in 1871, a man named John Cook took up a claim at Oak Lake in Becker County. The small, now-vanished village butted up against the White Earth Reservation, where John Cook once worked on the side of the government. He had been a trapper and fur trader among the Native Americans at Leech Lake, but now he wanted to settle down and farm. The Oak Lake settlement, where Cook would plop down his farm, was established in 1871, when the Northern Pacific Railroad reached that point and established the station. Like most frontier railroad towns, it had its brief time in the limelight and then disappeared. But unlike many of these other towns, we know the exact date of its death. On May 27, 1872, the railroad moved its Oak Lake station to nearby Audubon, Hmm. which as of the 2010 census has a booming population of 519. Oof. Thriving. Thriving. That sounds like the place to be in Minnesota. That's a strong community. It's so strong, I've never heard of the dang thing. (laughs) I know, man. Drove through a town a few times this week for work called Biscay, Minnesota. (laughs) Population 133. My god. I think right over here, okay, you know where there's... Lilydale. Sunfish no, Lake. The town that's called Landfill. Uh, oh, I never oh yeah, over by St. Paul Harley. Yeah, that's like, why does that it's even It's called Landfall. Landfall. Yeah, <laughs> Landfill is the nickname. The city is a trailer park. Yeah. Well, then it would be a fucking landfill, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, that's the joke. <laughs> yes, Got Cody. JPG, my friend. He's just assuming because there's a Harley dealership, there's got to be a trailer park. Well... I worked at the Harley dealership. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and yeah, lived in the trailer park. <laughs> no. I did not live in the trailer park. I just saw it Moving every goddamn day. Park. 
John Cook was a native of New Hampshire. His wife, Deantha, was born in Maine. He served in the Civil War as an engineer on the Little Ada, a 150-ton, screw-propelled steamer, which was captured by the Union Navy during the war. I kind of wouldn't mind seeing a steamer lake battle. Oh. That'd be pretty sweet, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be like uh, like if a giant had was having like a bath navy fight <laughs> yeah. with his yeah. toy boats. <laughs> that would be dope. As with most other soldiers of the time, John Cook kept his uniform after the war and was often seen about Oak Lake wearing his navy coat, on which Mrs. Cook had replaced the usual brass buttons with black buttons. That'll be important. Hmm, okay, alright. In 1872, the Cook family consisted of John, about 40, Deantha, about 32, Freddie, barely 9, Mary, 7, and young John, 21 months. Although Cook was now a farmer, he continued to trade furs with the local natives. On April 26, 1872, a friendly Indian known as Frank brought him 100 muskrat skins, which he stored upstairs in the fur room. John's young son, Freddie, was so excited about Mr. Frank's visit that he ran over to tell his aunt, Mrs. Nellie Small, about it. Is Frank his uh, legitimate name? I don't believe so. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's what the white devil gave him. Yeah, I think so. I also believe that. It's not, not a terrible name. My name is Running Horse. Okay, what's up, Frank? <laughs> I was just thinking, I, I, I think when the last week I was getting tattooed, I had like an extensive conversation about muskrats. And okay. how they're like the most shootable animal ever. Oh, can I? Okay. Here, Same. I'll tell you something. <laughs> I mean, they kind of are like cute, but they I mean, kind not, of have an annoying look on their face. Not going to lie, the most shootable animal ever is the Canadian goose. Border jumping terrorists. <laughs> no, the, uh, I used to work in Fridley for Arctic Glacier, the mm. ice company. Yeah. yeah. And uh, out back, there was a bunch of muskrats all the time near like this industrial pond. And one day when we didn't have anything to do, one of my coworkers and I went to his house and got uh, his paintball gun and oh. definitely were shooting at muskrats. <laughs> I don't know if we that, hit or not, but... That's just mean. We were also driving golf balls at him, but we definitely didn't hit any there. Well, they, I don't even they think need Tiger... just got to get better with your swing. Yeah, I think so. I don't even think Tiger Woods could hit a fucking muskrat. Listen, really, Cody? You don't think Tiger Woods? No. No, I he just, just won the Masters. I, I don't remember if I've said this on a previous uh, uh, episode, but the battle between my dad and the local muskrat. <laughs> I just remember he it. was he was just talking about it. Let's go. And me and him were sitting there, and all of a sudden this little shit comes creeping out. He literally sits right in the front driveway and just stands up staring in there. So my dad tries to run and get his rifle because of the, <laughs> well, I mean because the thing's been digging up underneath the barn or yeah. whatever. And I swear to God, the second he went to go get the gun, it's like the the little muskrat knew and just scurried off and he throws my dad out the house like fucking hell for fun trying to shoot this thing. <laughs> it was seriously like fucking Iowa caddy shack. Dude, I, I want to hang out at your parents' house for a weekend With Josh. sometime. Josh needs to be Yes. There. I think they, they have these weird little sensors they put in the ground that emit like this weird screeching noise. Yep. For and bulls, I think, muskrats. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think the house is loaded with them. Mm -hmm. So I don't think he ever got that guy. I it, think he is it just him. an alarm that lets your dad know the muskrats there, so <laughs> yeah. he can go get his rifle? No, it's claymore mines <laughs> all over the property. Actually, <laughs> bam! <laughs> Listen, I'll help your dad take out that muskrat. Yeah, I would have some fun with that. This too. is like five years ago. I'm sure it's dead by now. Yes. Well, its offspring are still alive. <laughs> we got to take out. We got to genocide the family. <laughs> This is a generational feud now. That's right. We're like Chi we're like ancient China. We got to yeah. we got to take out the root <laughs> and the stem. The Smalls lived on an adjoining claim about three quarters of a mile away from the Cooks. Several Native Americans were also seen that day. Two stopped at the Cooks' house. Three stopped at a neighbor's house. Silently lit pipes around the fire pit, and then left without saying a word. In Oak Lake proper, a member of a Chippewa band stopped and bought two gallons of whiskey. Other natives camped all around the region that night, including Kakabesha, commonly translated to Bobo Link. I kind of like that. I like yeah. that name. Kakabesha. Kakabesha. He definitely is better. It's better than Frank. Definitely better yeah. than Frank. <laughs> it, it's got a little more heritage behind it. <laughs> On the following morning, April 27th, 1872, all the Native Americans camping around the area abruptly and nervously left most leaving half-cooked food by the fire, 
which they were in too great of a hurry to eat. Skinwalkers. <laughs> On that very same morning, Mrs. Small, Mrs. Cook's sister and neighbor, sent her young son to the cooks to get milk. The boy returned with no milk and told his mother, The house is all burned down. Mrs. Small sprinted the three quarters of a mile to the cook residence to see the timber smoldering, splatters of blood all over the cellar walls, and fragmented remains of the cook family in the cellar. She quickly sent off for neighbors to search through the debris, which only confirmed her worst fears to be true. That old Ricky was putting in claymore mines in their cellar. <laughs> That's right. Trying thinking to they the were the goddamn muskrat. <laughs> <laughs> the coroner was on the scene while the house was still smoldering. Volunteers put out the fire, searched the house, found charred bones, children's teeth, gold fillings, and a set of false teeth. Yikes. Dr. David Pyle found traces of blood on burned fragments of clothing, but nothing to indicate how or why this tragedy took place. But the white settlers of the town, who were butted right up against the White Earth Reservation, immediately blamed the natives. <sighs> of course they did. Yeah, I knew that was coming. <laughs> the sheriff telegraphed Governor Austin at once. Governor Steve Austin? <laughs> Stone Cold. That'd be amazing if he was the governor before <laughs> Jesse. <laughs> Asking for a detective to be dispatched immediately. At the same time, the citizens were drafting a petition to the governor asking that all Native Americans be confined permanently to their reservations. Otherwise, the petitioner said the people must arise in the majesty of the first law of human nature, self-preservation, and exterminate the race of Indians. Wow, Steve Austin is not very nice. That's, no, he's uh, not. That's the people. The, oh. peop the people of the settlement were signing <laughs> so this as the petition to the... Uh, so Stone Cold Steve Austin's subordinates are not very nice. <laughs> his, yeah, I was gonna say he's well, his con his constituents, <laughs> the the no, people of the town, they're his subordinates. Okay, nobody in Minnesota is this mean, so I know this is bullshit already. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's got to come from the the Rattlesnake Ranch or whatever. <laughs> On the first of May, Governor Austin proclaimed that all Native Americans are to stay within their reservations. Governor Austin decided he would send an emissary to get the lay of the land and to figure out if this thing was going to lead to more bloodshed. He sent Dr. David Day, a St. Paul physician, as his emissary, and he reported back that the pillager band of Chippewa, regarded as the most heroic, bravest, and fiercest of the Chippewa, were the ones causing chaos in the region. Dr. Day had this to say to the governor. A continual vendetta <laughs> is going on between the Indians and the whites of the border. And if indulged much longer, the law of the savage will supersede the law of civilization. Meanwhile, the actions of a particular native were drawing attention. Two days after the cook home burned, Bobo Link sold 100 muskrat skins to a white trader. Hmm. To fellow tribesmen, he sold a woman's coat, a pencil, and a gold <laughs> chain. He charged $15 for the coat and $3 for the other items. Why are pencils so expensive? Ah, uh, gosh. I don't know. Lead, Maybe they were magic. Lead might be a hot commodity. I was mm. going to say, it's, a pro almost, it's almost as much as the fucking gold chain. Listen, it is as much. I back mean, then, you get yourself a good number two. Mm. You're good to go. <laughs> Maybe it was two fifty for the chain, 50 cents for the pencil. Okay, that, yeah. re that reminds me. I've literally never seen any pencil that is not a number two pencil. I have. Yeah, art Besides, pencils and shit. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess I didn't pay attention to those. I guess not. <laughs> but you're an artist. I can't remember the last time I've drawn anything. Well, you're a sad man, then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some days later, he appeared in Oak Lake wearing a navy coat with black buttons instead of bronze. Hey. He had with him a gold watch, which he pawned for a dollar, and a navy revolver, just like the one Cook had, which he tried unsuccessfully to sell. It's not looking hmm. good, Bobo. News of Bobo Link's actions must have reached the governor almost immediately, for he sent two well-known and very capable men. One of them was James Whitehead, a lumber dealer from St. Anthony who used to work near the Chippewa Band and who had known Bobo Link when he was a boy. The other one was none other than our old bearded hero Alfred Brackett, who was <laughs> instrumental in many, many, many of these early Minnesota oh, cases. Yeah. You know, I had, to, I had to look and make sure we had posted about Alfred Brackett and one of the only Google image results is from our Instagram. So that's oh, really? good. Really? Mm -hmm. mm. He has appeared several times in this uh, in this book. Oh. Whitehead's assignment was anything but simple. 
He was tasked with finding a particular man in a huge reservation, arresting him, securing him, and hauling him out, all while facing down the hostile eyes of his friends and relatives. Eh, I mean, <laughs> it, it, you're playing it up. That sounds like a pretty easy task. Yeah, that ain't so bad. That ain't so bad. Outnumbered like thousands to one. <laughs> yeah, whatever. People hate you and everything you stand for. Boba Link's standing in the tribe wouldn't make Whitehead's task any easier. He was part of the most hardcore of the pillager band of the Chippewa tribe, known as the Otter Tail Band. That's a very weak name for the most hardcore <laughs> of them. They, they earned the nickname translated to English as Men Who Take by Force. Okay, that makes sense. I feel like an otter tail is pretty small, isn't it? No idea. I think they have a tail like a kitten or something, like you a know all tiny these, one. You know how this native stuff is. They, <laughs> they, they have meanings for stuff that I, we I, do I, not understand. Yeah. I, I was gonna, well, they should have been like a beaver tail or like a, I don't know what other animal has a better tail than that. Not that it matters. Cody, stop disrespecting their culture. <laughs> yeah, that's fucked up. Furthermore, Bobo Link was a nephew of respected chief Flatmouth. Hmm. To complicate things even more, Bobo Link had sold the watch chain and pencil to a brother of Red Turtle, another pillager chief. Oof. Knowing that Whitehead might have hard going, Governor Austin telegraphed Captain I.C. Walters, militia commander at Brainerd, to hold his troops ready to protect Bobo Link, Whitehead, and Brackett if necessary. At Sandy Lake on May 20th, 1872, the pillager were holding a ceremonial of the Grand Medicine Lodge a complex religious gathering of great importance to the Chippewa. By late afternoon, the group of several hundred men and women were in a religious and very drunken fervor. <laughs> Into this lion's den walked three white men to arrest the nephew of the big chief, Whitehead, acting as the special agent, and D.O. Preston and George W. Holland, Brainerd attorneys. Ignoring the downright hateful looks which followed him everywhere, Whitehead calmly walked through the crowd, scanning for Bobo Link whom they finally found playing the moxing game with friends. And uh, I did try learning the rules of this through a YouTube video, <laughs> and I uh, left more confused than before. <laughs> so they actually kind of... Do you have any idea what the moxing game is? Man, they, is like, it? throw sticks, and there's like they're, like, pretending to hide stuff under a moccasin, and then there's, like, <laughs> it's fucking... I have no idea. I, I'm not against it. I don't hate it. I just want to know what it is. I just figured... You just don't understand... I figured it was some sort of, like, throwing your shoes at people game, but... So did I at first. <laughs> I thought it was, like, Kung Shu, where you, like, kicked your shoe at uh, somebody. <laughs> and moxen... What can, you hide, what can you hide under a moxen? They're not even moxens, I mean, though. They're, like... A bunch of things. They're, like, rags, mostly. Hmm. It's fucking strange. Look it up. Everybody look it up if you want to. I can't explain it We're because... We're gonna play it next I have week. no idea. We'll play it on the next live <laughs> there show. There you go. <laughs> Whitehead waited patiently for Bobo Link to finish his game, then followed him as he returned to his lodge. He followed him into his lodge, told him why he was wanted, and arrested him. When Bobo Link realized what was happening, he tried to snatch a knife from under the blanket he was wearing, but Whitehead was too quick. He had also taken precautions, stationing the two lawyers outside any lodge he entered. They were able to rush in and secure the prisoner. The three men had their captive, but were also smack dab in the middle of a Chippewa stronghold. At this point, it was a question of who would be imprisoning whom. Ooh. See, okay, this makes a little more sense. For some reason, in my head, when you were telling it initially, I thought that the tribe knew that they were coming for for him, mm. but they went in secretly. It was a sneaking mission, Snake. Okay, so, okay. If they can maybe keep them quiet or something when they're leaving with them, but probably be pretty hard. Yeah. Yes. Three Knock white men take, yeah. To leave the reservation, the white men had to take Bobo Link past the Grand Medicine Lodge itself, where his wife and family saw him and rushed out to ask what the heck was going on. Chief Red Turtle also appeared with a large group of braves and mm. began to follow Whitehead. For a long while, it was touch and go. Whitehead would later recall, The chief said it seemed strange the whites would come here and take away a man without consulting him. I told him, we take prisoners first, and then we'll tell them about it. I told him he was always supposed to be a good Indian and not to meddle with this matter. If they would rescue him, I would return in ten days with a thousand troops. He said to tell the governor he had not melded with me. Meddled. He said to tell the governor he had not melded with me. What the fuck? Meddled. Meddled. Well, you gotta leave this in. I... 
I guess I have to. You gotta leave this in. <laughs> I'll reference it later on in the episode to make sure you have to leave it in. <laughs> he said to tell the governor that he had not meddled with me. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, well. my, my mind is so far gone right now. Let's That's go. hilarious. <laughs> At the same time, Red Turtle, who had no wish to provoke reprisals, instructed Bobo Link, If you have done anything wrong, tell the truth, whatever you know about it. The white men took their prisoner away from the camp. When they reached the river about a mile away, Whitehead, who must have had extraordinary composure, self-assurance, and a heavy nutsack, <laughs> left Bobo Link in the care of the other two men and revisited the Chippewa Lodges to search for missing items from the Cook residence oh. and to talk with other tribe members. Very clever. Mm-hmm. Clever? That's fucking ballsy. They were just chased away from the reservation yeah. by a group of braves. Well, maybe he thinks he's sneaky and he can just get right in there. Listen, that he's man a needs boy. a wheelbarrow for his fucking nuts. <laughs> mm. His visit produced results. Whitehead had seen a brave in a heavy woman's winter coat while they were apprehending Bobo Link and was now seeking the wearer. When he found the correct man, he was partially drunk and said he hid the coat somewhere safe so the white men couldn't take it off him. <laughs> so Whitehead went to Chief Red Turtle and demanded the coat. Red what Turtle the- asked what he would pay for it, and the agent asked him to set a price. Red Turtle said $15, the price that was paid. Easy. About a half hour later, Red Turtle's brother handed over the chain and the pencil that he had paid $3 for, and to Whitehead's credit, he paid the man $3. Wow. Hey. How nice was this fucking coat that it cost $15? Hey, Dude. I'm just glad everybody was able to get their money back. Yes. <laughs> but I certainly wish Mrs. Cook would still be wearing it alive today. Right, right. With their prisoner a few miles away and this new evidence in his possession, he was ready to leave the camp. As the afternoon had gone on, the tribe was getting more and more drunk. The squaws were taunting the men, calling them dickless cowards and urging them to go rescue Bobo Link. <laughs> With fortune in their favor, the white manhunters were able to slip away before the Chippewa tribesmen became pissed enough to try a rescue. On the journey from their camp to the nearest railroad station in Aiken, Bobo Link nearly escaped when he was given permission to wash in the river. He dived in and began (laughs) swimming rapidly, but the white men chased him in their canoe and subdued him by hitting him over the head with a paddle. (laughs) Jesus Christ. This is like a fucking cartoon. I was just going to say, he's getting away, go. (laughs) Bonk. <laughs> After he was safely on the train, Bobo Link was presented with Mrs. Cook's red cloak and was asked if he recognized it. Looking uneasy, the native said, I think I do. In the face of the incriminating circumstances, and after being questioned twice, Bobo Link denied having any personal contact with the Cook family. He was, of course, nonetheless taken to Oak Lake by Whitehead and Brackett for a preliminary examination on May 24th. At that time, he admitted knowing about the murder, but continued to deny taking part in it. Three Rainy Lake tribesmen committed the crime, he said. He had been sleeping peacefully under a tree when the three went when the three men awakened him, told him they had murdered the Cook family and plundered the house, and gave him some of their spoils to secure his silence. Why would you just randomly wake someone up and be like, hey, we killed some people, here's some shit, don't tell anyone. Here you go, go sell this stuff. So I just killed and robbed that family over there. Take this, even though you didn't know I was here. Just don't talk about it, Bobo. We were never here. (laughs) The examining justice on the scene was not convinced and ordered Bobo Link to be moved to St. Paul and held in the Ramsey County Jail until the grand jury could convene. While in jail, he was visited by the half-breed, <laughs> not my words, the half-breed Alan Jordan, and Bobo Link opened up to him. He confessed at being a part of the Cook family murder, but said he had done so only out of duress. He claimed tribesmen from the Leech Lake Pillager Band, among whom were Kabi Mabi, which translates to one who seems to sit in different places. <laughs> he was the ringleader, and Okima, which translates to king, had coerced him into it under threat of murder. If I remember right, I think Leech Lake is the one we used to vacation at when we were Sounds younger. Sounds right. Isn't that, where, or upper isn't that where Eel Pout Fest is? I, yes. No, or is that Red Lake? <laughs> no, it is Leech Lake. Yes, yeah, right. Leech Lake because yeah. it's in Minnesota. Because mm-hmm. Leech Lake is up Red Lake's by... in Minnesota too. No, I thought Red Lake was North Dakota. Mm. Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Leech, mm. Leech Lake's like close to St. Cloud, right? Yep. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, definitely that one. I remember I was so excited to like go to the 
super shitty video store in the town and Hell rent yeah. like a video game or something. Hell yeah. It was so stupid. But it's Fuck nature, I want to play Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> yeah, probably. He's a little smash boy. <laughs> According to the story Alan Jordan heard, Kabi Mabi learned on April 26, 1972, that a native trader had left a... <laughs> <laughs> that a native trader had left a large quantity of furs with John Cook. Kabi Mabi then found Okima, and the two of them dragged Bobo Link with them to Cook's farm. Reaching the house at 8 p.m., they stood outside the door. Kabi Mabi pushed Bobo Link forward, telling him to shoot as soon as the door opened. Bobo Link shot John Cook in the chest, and oh, he Bobo fell Link. dead instantly. Continuing his story, Bobo Link said Mrs. Cook rushed to her husband's side. Kabi Mabi stepped forward and struck her with his hatchet, although she kept crying, Oh, don't! Don't kill me! She was struck again, this time a deadly blow. Was it a a rowing paddle? A hatchet. A <laughs> oh, hatchet. We've okay. We've been right. over this, yes, Cody. Sir. All of 15 seconds ago. <laughs> That's right. I wish it was a paddle. <laughs> Telling the others to wait, Kabi Mabi ran upstairs where he found two children in bed. He promptly killed them. Oof. The three natives then divided the spoils, including a package of furs Kabi Mabi had thrown downstairs. After setting the house ablaze, the three split up. Bobo Blink sprinting eastward while the other two went west. I, I'm going to say this right now, Adam. When you first started this story, I was convinced that it was going to be some local white person in the town framing a Native American, but I'm completely uh, baffled by this. This was a strong confession, and Brackett and two others were sent on June 20th to arrest Bobo Link's cohorts. Kabi Mabi and Okima were found together on the White Earth Reservation, Quietly and peaceably gambling. <laughs> Can you gamble peacefully? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. As, like, you, as long as you don't pull a gun or something. So you just lose all your money or whatever, and you just kind of chill and don't That's say nothing? That's what all gambling addicts do. <laughs> yeah. You're like, well, time to get a for fourth mortgage on the house. Yeah. When arrested, they made no resistance. Okima saying only, what? What? Neither seemed to know anything about the raid, and neither had any property connected with the Cooks. Both waived preliminary examinations, and were sent to St. Paul on June 30th to await further proceedings. Kabi Mabi was described as a large, stout, well-dressed man of about 28, who wore a profusion of ear and finger rings. Sounds like, um, Jordan. Yeah, a little <laughs> tall, stout hipster. <laughs> well-dressed, though, I don't, I don't know. Okima was a boy of not more than 18. In that same month of June 1872, a Chippewa chief named Anoki went to St. Paul with Jean-Baptiste Potenu, <laughs> another half-breed, not French my words, one. not my words, to interview the man Bobo Link for themselves. It appeared that the natives dreaded white revenge for the Cook murders, welcomed the governor's order keeping them on their reservations where they felt safer, and were just as anxious as the whites to see the Cook matter investigated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When Enoki and Botanu questioned him about the murder, Bobo Link kept to the story he had told at his preliminary examination. This time when he told the story, the three tribesmen woke him up under the tree and told him about the slaughter of the Cook family. <laughs> he's still going with this. He's going yeah. back and forth. He's just... He's trying to save you know, himself. You know how many times I've been woken up in the middle of the night and someone had to tell me about their crime? Yeah. Well, at around. least once, because I broke in and told you. Jordan climbed up the window like uh, Lissa explains it, Clarissa explains it all. I could see Jordan waking up and be like, I just jaywalked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's because I'm a good boy. Yes, you are. Further investigation showed unavoidable contradictions in Bobo Link's story and law enforcement decided to take no action against Okima and Kabe Mabe. An extreme stroke of luck for the two, as the standard just ten years previous was hang all Indians implicated. Ooh. As things stood now, Bobo Link had told two versions of one story in which he admitted guilty knowledge, but claimed not to have taken part in the crimes, and one version of another story in which he confessed to shooting John Cook. Mm. He suddenly became the author of still another confession Jesus. in which he appeared as the lonely killer. Oh. This report appeared in the Duluth, Minnesotian, <laughs> and that is what it's called. I looked it up. Yep. Of June 29th, 1872, and without question included some journalistic spice and embellishment. Gotta it went like it. this. I made up my mind to commit this crime because I was poor and needed clothing. Upon reaching the cook home, he opened the door and shot Cook as he sat reading. 
Mrs. Cook ran to her husband. Bobo Link shot her. After killing the husband and wife, he said he entered the house, found the three children, and killed them with a club. They did not cry or moan. After choosing the goods he wanted, he set fire to the house and went away. I do not consider the above a brave act, and have never felt brave until today since I told the truth. I know I will be hanged, and I intend to give the war whoop on that occasion. The hell is a war whoop? We're gonna find out, Cody. Well, not really. I just assumed everybody knew. That's mm. like the, the whooping they do as they ride into war. Much like the Dothraki. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Thank you, Jordan. Yes. Which the Native Americans were based on. The Dothraki. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Jordan, Jesus Christ. What? Native Americans came first. I mean, Dothraki came first. As if to fuck up the investigation even further, Bobo Link shortly went back on his confession and said his preliminary statement was the true one. On August 8th, Bobo Link offered a third confession, <laughs> this time in the presence of Franklin Cook, John Cook's brother. Whitehead, his captor, and John Botanu, who had interviewed him before and now served as interpreter. Bobolink now said he had a hand in the murder, but his hand was forced. On the day before the end of the Cook family, he was hunting near Oak Lake. In the evening, he met another native named Mascabeosan, who bragged about the goods he had amassed by killing white people and proposed killing the Cook family for treasure. Bobolink held back, he said, until Mascabeosan taunted him repeatedly for being a coward. That's when he decided to go along. Poor Bobby Link, always the victim. Yeah, he's just getting bullied the, uh, into killing and, yeah. and robbing. I hope he says, I watched that Adult Swim tar- cartoon Too Many Cooks and I had to finish the rest of them oh. <laughs> It was stuck in his head for so long yeah. that anybody named Cook had to die. <laughs> At the Cook residence, Bobo Link was still reluctant, he insisted. He and his companions stood under a tree talking until midnight. Finally, Bobo Link stood guard while Mascabeason shot John Cook through the window as he sat at the table reading. Mascabeason entered the house, <laughs> killed Mrs. Cook with a hatchet, ran upstairs, threw down the furs, and killed the children. Bobo Link heard only one short cry. The two men then divided the plunder. As they were leaving the neighborhood, Bobo Link said, Mascabeason returned to the Cook home on some pretext or another and set it ablaze. I'm not believing you, Mr. Bobo Link. It's too many stories for too yeah. many cooks. I was <laughs> There's too, too many, many cooks, cooks in the kitchen, oh. you might say. I was just thinking, like, remember when we did Alfred Packer and he had like 17 different confessions? Yes. I'm wondering if in the law you could just keep changing your confession or if it's just like, is that all they knew what to do? I'm so confused why in the time period that was like, I'll just keep changing what I'm saying. I'm totally going to get off. It makes no sense at all. Yeah. There will be a little bit of a, I, I think a, an explanation just, for yeah. that. Oh. I think or it's like, just delaying the inevitable. It is. Or you, we will see. Okay. Having confessed to murder in three different ways and having twice confessed to knowing about the murders but not disclosing it, Boba Link stayed in the Ramsey County Jail until he was formally indicted for first-degree murder by the Becker County Grand Jury on November 12, 1872. On his defense counsel was one D.O. Preston of Brainerd, one of the men who had helped capture him, which is kind of strange. I wonder what D.O. stands for. Don Oprah? Don Oprah Preston. <laughs> I think so. Dean Oppenheimer Preston. I think that's got to be it. <laughs> Dean Oppenheimer Preston. It's a classy name. Could be a lawyer. Classy name for a classy gent, <laughs> if you ask me. He doesn't pull out. <laughs> no. No. no he, he's got a lot of a uh, little... Dio's running about. <laughs> He's an unprotected gutshot master. <laughs> yes. Bobolink pleaded not guilty on the advice of his counsel. No shit. And, <laughs> and since Oak Lake had no jail, he was taken all the way up to Detroit Lakes for confinement until trial. Why would they take him way up there? They gotta get because him back the County, nearest bro. jail. <sighs> Chief Flatmouth came to his nephew's defense as well, but also had to try and save his tribe. He played it as courageously as possible in an almost no-win situation. Already, the state was unquestionably racist against Native Americans. Mm -hmm. And now a whole lot of white blood had spilled. He had this to say. We have some sense left in us. I know my obligations to our great father, that my people will never spill the white man's blood. If it was done by some foolish young man, I do not think the whole tribe should suffer for it. After making this statement, Flatmouth seems to have become more devious. 
he sent a telegram to Governor Austin stating he had three men that had killed the cooks and to meet him at Leech Lake with Bobo Link to exchange the prisoners. The governor was of course skeptical and asked the chief to bring two more principal chiefs and the suspects down to St. Paul. Flatmouth declined the offer, making investigators believe the chief had planned to kidnap the governor, rescue Bobo Link, <laughs> and use the governor as a bargaining chip against an all-out white attack. <laughs> Either way, it did not work. The Chippewa stayed home and left Bobo Link to the white man's justice. Mm. Just just <laughs> going to say that's probably the smart move. I think so. I think that would have been fucking nuts. Though. That would have turned into a great movie that Dwayne Johnson probably shouldn't be in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, but he would be in it anyway. Do you think Minnesota really would care about the governor that much? Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he That's got abducted. That's the president of the state, Cody. If he got abducted now, I don't think many people would care. We also weren't, like, at yeah. war with a tribe okay. of people yeah. we subjugated. Yeah. Yeah. On January 15th, 1873, Bobo Link's trial opened without fanfare in Byron's Hall in Detroit Lakes. This was a large room over a pool hall <laughs> and was the only room large enough to hold court in a tiny village that didn't have a courthouse. Just imagine they're in court and you just hear that ding. <laughs> oh, someone cracking. just broke. <laughs> this is fucking pool cues getting smashed everywhere. Bar <laughs> fights breaking up. I hope they're playing nine ball. <laughs> in a murder case, the easiest part for the prosecution is to prove that a human came to death. The hard part, especially in this case, with six different stories told by the defendant and all evidence corrupted by fire, was how the humans came to death. That's kind of the the reason why he kept switching it up so much. Yeah, I see that. Upon reviewing the evidence, Dr. Pyle of St. Paul was able to state positively that the charred bone fragments were those of human beings and the small teeth were those of children. He could also identify the skull fragment as that of a human female. Pointing to the traces of subcutaneous hemorrhage in the skull, he explained that someone must have struck her on the head with enough force to kill. Kind of like with a hatchet. Could be, huh? Do you think that would have punctured the skull? Or you think your skull is thick enough to handle it's, that? They're, they're all charred know, skull Cody. fragments, too. Yeah, you know I just, what I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Tough to put that together back yeah. then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just need some Gorilla Glue, bro. <laughs> Can you imagine that little monkey in the commercial just like gluing a, a skull, a skull back together? together? <laughs> <laughs> Apart from testimony that blood had stained the cellar walls, this was the only evidence that the death might have occurred from violence. Dr. Philo S. Calkins, a Minneapolis dentist, <laughs> identified the false teeth as a set he had made for John Cook. This is definitely the first case in Minnesota criminal prosecution where dental records were used to identify a murder victim. Wow. Very common practice today, of course. Yeah, 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 obviously. Bobo Link's defense was presented poorly. His counsel didn't even try to hint at another guilty party or show that Bobo Link had no weapons on him on the day in question. No one demanded the presence of any of the men Bobo Link had accused, and although the possession of the stolen cook's goods looked guilty, there was a bunch of different people with some of the cook's belongings. Do you know if he had a white lawyer, you think? Yeah. It yeah. was one of the guys that arrested him. Yeah. Oh, D.O. Preston. <clears throat> my bad. Dip, I was thinking because it's definitely... Dipton Paul Orenthal Preston. <laughs> so it's definitely probably a white jury, though, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. I was going to say, I, didn't, I doubt that they care if they kind of make it fair for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. they kind of already, this seems like one of those cases where they already knew the verdict <laughs> yeah. before. He's like, can we get started. the fuck out of here, yeah. Leo Preston? <laughs> I got pulled to shoot. The defense then brought in two fucking Looney Tune quack doctors <laughs> to testify. The first described himself as a practicing physician of the eclectic school, which flourished in New York and had no connection to any recognized American medical school. My favorite type. The second man revealed that, while he had not spent a day studying in any medical school, <laughs> he had nevertheless read with great care several anatomy books with pictures. Oh, see, those pictures are what do it for you. <laughs> imagine, imagine if you could get yeah. away with this now. How many fucking true like detectives would Instagram have oh, right now? Oh, God. 
God, I love 1872. <laughs> what a fucking crazy time to be alive. Sir, can you tell me where the tricep is? Actually, right here. Oh, my God, he's legit. <laughs> he's a doctor. I know why a man gets a boner. I'm a doctor. He's a witch. <laughs> it's because of demons that infiltrate the penis, right? I tell you what, Bobo because... Link didn't have his dose of cocaine this morning. That's why he went crazy and killed somebody. <laughs> Both men confessed they couldn't tell the difference between a male and female skull. With this laughably idiotic effort, the defense rested. <laughs> On January 18th, 1873, an hour and a half after retiring, the jury returned with its verdict. Guilty of murder in the first degree. And recommended death. This appears to be one of the few cases where death was actually recommended by the jurors acting under the 1868 law, which left it to the jury to decide whether a convicted murderer should hang. Wow. Three days later, Judge McKelvey pronounced the formal sentence of death by hanging, and the prisoner was taken to St. Paul for confinement until the governor set the date. Tensions were rising on both the native and the white side. It was a political quagmire. Should Bobo Link be hanged while others accused of the crime were not cleared or even investigated, retribution from the Chippewa would be brutal. But on the other hand, if Governor Austin commuted his sentence, the tribe might overstep their bounds, thinking that the white man was too lenient. Whatever the governor decided was to be the wrong decision. Lose-lose situation here. The Kobayashi Maru of, <laughs> of governor decisions. <laughs> yep. I have a... I'm, I'm got my chips in one corner. I'm pretty sure I know what he's going to do. Mm. But we'll find out. I can't, um, I can't even imagine this being fate, but I guess it stepped in at this point. Boba Link died of the quick consumption while in custody at the Ramsey County Jail. Never has there been a case of consumption that was so quick or so convenient. I guess they, well, I was like, how easy it is, is it to, like, trick the symptoms of TB? I don't know. I don't know. Did it, okay, when we talked about Marianne Cotton, was the poison, or that was for typhus? No. Oh. I oh. think the, the symptoms of arsenic poisoning arsenic. was typh typhus, I think. Oh. I don't know if it was TB. Okay. I don't think. I think it was just typhus. Shit. Yeah, it was know. typhus. I don't know. <clears throat> Maybe another poison well, looks like here's, it. Uh, I mean, they said he died of the quick consumption, right? The sheriff immediately had Bobo Link buried in a secret place. Ah. His mm. body still undiscovered, and he was never allowed to give his war whoop at his hanging. A little follow-up. In July 1872, the citizens of Oak Lake had the cellar filled in at the Cook residence and interred the family remains on the site. It is marked by a small bronze plaque set there in 1923 by the Grand Army of the Republic and reading, This plot marks the site of the home of John Cook, pioneer settler who, with his family, were murdered by Indians on April 26, 1872. It should be noted that the plaque says Indians, not Indian, and this is probably the oh, truth. Clever. So this, I mean... I feel like this story left me with a lot of questions. Mm. Yeah. Questions that we'll never have answers to, obviously. I wish we could, because nobody knows who was all involved in the Cook slang. I know how we can find out. We get ourselves a DeLorean with a flux <laughs> capacitor. Yeah. We hit 88. I want to find Bobo Link's body. I feel like, uh, Jordan, this wouldn't be a great time period to hang out in. Sounds awful. sound fun. Yeah. Sounds awful. <laughs> sounds really scary and bad. Yeah, but I can bring modern weapons with me, so... I don't know if that's how that works. <laughs> can weapons go back? I feel like uh, Marty McFly went back to, like, the 50s with, like, the same clothes yeah, he had on. Yeah, he had clothes and stuff. <laughs> he had the pumps. If I, I have it with me inside the DeLorean, I think I'm good. Yeah. I was thinking more Terminator. Oh, Adam, so I'm curious. What do you believe happened? What like, do I, okay. What do you think? I think Bobo Link had a hand in it, and I also think there were other conspirators. I don't think it was the two he named mm. that clearly didn't know what the hell was going on. Yeah. King and the man who sits in many places at once. So you think definitely Bobo Link did assist in killing yeah. him? Yeah. He, he, it's way too, he knew way too much, and he had say, way yeah. too much stuff for Too that. many details for yeah. someone who isn't the killer. Seems like it'd be hard for one man to take out a whole family, but then again, I I don't know. I'm trying to put myself in the like political mind frame of the time yeah. where it's like you really gotta tread through the tulips with the fucking native problem. Yeah, I feel I feel like Governor Austin was gonna hang him. 
Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Just, yeah. I don't like, think he, he didn't commute. care. No. <laughs> I don't think he cared. I think that sheriff did him a fucking sneaky back alley favor and put one in his head or something. I'm gonna have though. to. Yeah. I'm gonna have to look. Oh, oh yeah, I guess they just said he died of it. They didn't the have an autopsy. Consumption, yeah, anything. I mean, he was buried in a secret location. Nobody investigated the body, anything <laughs> like that. He's probably under Shepherd Road right now. I assume he's in. Uh, he's somewhere near Detroit Lakes. How far? That's like six hours from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think you're probably right. He it was him, probably two dudes, because it's yeah. weird. He kept mentioning two other people in all his stories, mm-hmm. even the ones where he's like, "Oh, they woke me up," you know. Plus, that's so, a lot of people to butcher. Yeah, yeah. by like, yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hmm. That's three kids and two adults. Listen, the kids probably weren't that much of a no, problem. No. They were like nine, seven, and twenty-one months. I was kind of. I'm still trying to figure out where he would like the the chief's name was like flat flat mouth, obviously yep. after a rock. Or the other one was red turtle. Even though I've never seen a completely red turtle. Mm. Where do you give Bobo Link? Well, uh, yeah, yeah. His real name is something different, but oh, that's what it's like. Yeah. That's what it's translated to. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I thought. Okay, I got and you. I didn't want to keep saying dude's <laughs> name if I one, didn't have to. Yeah. Hard and plus, it's called Bobo Link's last last war whoop. You yeah. know what I mean? He was known to everyone as Bobo Link. <laughs> yep. He just keeps reminding me of like a string of sausages for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. He reminds me of a homeless Link from Legend of Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> He's a fucking Bobo ass Link. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So, did you like it? I loved it. It's it great. Good. Very good. I love the Minnesota murders. Hell yeah. Thank you, Walter Trennery. Thank you. <laughs> He's a master. He's he good. is. I, I'm still like racist, but good. Do you, okay. Do you believe that if they did hang him, he a war would have broke broke out, or I is that know. just kind of? But really, it wouldn't. Like I don't know. I don't know. I know. I think there might have like, been a small uprising, but not like a full blown war. I think things would have ended differently for the Chippewa if that happened. But mm. like, yeah, goddamn, that they, sucks. Yeah, they wouldn't be making delicious craft beer right now, would they, Jordan? Mm. I'm not sure if they do. Chippewa what's, Valley? Yeah. What's that? That's in Wisconsin. Uh, what's the <laughs> What's the beer that uh don't you drink it? Don't you drink Chippewa Falls? There's a beer company that they make uh Lining or Lining Kugels is in the Chippewa Valley. It's in Chippewa Falls in Wisconsin. Yeah, I swear yeah, yeah, there was one called Chippewa. Well, I think something. that's uh seltzer water. Oh, right? Or is it Yeah, that could be sparkle water. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure that's what that is. Okay. So. Yeah, that's very different from craft beer. Yeah, and they a, both suck. There's a lot of shit called Chippewa around here. Yeah, because, there really uh, is. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's just they were a big part of it, and they yeah. deserve it. I know. I know it's like revisionist history to think if they war or whatever, but it's kind of it's very interesting. Yeah. I just wish I like knew more about war tactics of the time <laughs> and like to see if they would have been able to do anything. They mm. think if well, not they. I read a few things that said if the Chippewa would have uprose with the Sioux, then it would have had a little bit of a difference, maybe. But I mean, it's I don't we don't know the populations of both of them. But yeah, yeah. I'm sure somebody's help. thought about it. Yeah. I just am yeah. not an expert. I just read the story and thought I was fucking rad. Well, that's great. I oh love yeah, it. hell yeah. All right, thank you everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as well as my friends here. As good something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, it's bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. What's that, Adam? Bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at bumblebuttpod and on Facebook and Instagram at bumblebuttpodcast. Jordan and I also have personal Instagrams. Mine is at bumbleadam. Jordan's is at j.j.fox. Yeah. Uh, ba 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 Now time for the most important part of the show, at least if you ask Cody, the iTunes review. And uh, we did get one more. Hey. Written, and I think it's basically for Adam only. Holy. Oh, that's what I like to hear. <laughs> it's from Carmina. It's literally called Adam. Whoa. <laughs> Adam's laugh and giggles is the highlight of this podcast. Sometimes I think I laugh because he does, LOL. These guys are super funny, and I love their banter. Cover things are people I have never heard of yes. with great detail and commentary. Yes, that's hey. what I like to Perfect. hear. I so don't want to really do likes you. So yeah. I think you could do this by yourself. I mean, for Adam her. does have a fantastic laugh. I was that's gonna, so nice. I was going to bring this up earlier when I was recording with Phil. We were talking about you guys, and uh, he's like, well, 
they really love, Adam's got the voice, right? He's got that voice, and then he's and Phil's like Jordan. He's got he's got the looks. He can get the girls. Mm. They just didn't say anything about me. I'm like, says that? I'm like, okay, I guess I don't even need to be here, Phil. Thanks, buddy. Uh, uh, do you want me to call Adam or Jordan and have them do this? <laughs> no. I mean, I can either get the voice or apparently the looks. He mm. He notices all the girls like you. He was watching the live show. I don't were, get it. They were calling you a chocolate chip or whatever. Yeah, I know. They, a little snack. They, <laughs> once, uh, snack God, rolls. I wish I remembered who called me a snack. Everyone just joined in. I was like, this is not right. <laughs> Humble brag over here. Fuck no. I have they a hated it I when they were it. attracted to me. Well, <laughs> as, this, uh, as this all melts down and devolves into chaos, I would like to thank everybody for listening. And I want you to all have a nice weekend. Unless it's Tuesday. I've had to pee for this entire episode. <laughs>